Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. We now come to the time in our worship service in which we fix our attention upon God's word. So we invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 through 8. The scripture will be up on the screen, but you're invited to have it in front of you as well. This is the word of God from the book of Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 through 8. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, Dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in good old age." And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So, Lord, we do pray. We pray for your word and your truth. We pray for your light and your goodness to shine on us, that we may know you better, and we may know your Son who gave himself for us. It's in Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Sue Zogelman was not your average high school boy. For one, he was a boy named Sue, And for another, he was the biggest, strongest, and most intimidating boy in the whole school. Everybody was afraid of what Sue could do to them. Val Abbott was a little bit different. Val was the shortest and scrawniest and in some ways the most awkward boy in school. He was picked on and he was bullied and and people made fun of him for a variety of different things. But there was one thing that Val Abbott had that Sue Zogelman did not have. You see, Val's last name was Abbott. And the way they did things in that school 
was that parking was done in alphabetical order. And so Val Abbott had the spot closest to the school. But Sue Zogelman had to park all the way at the back. Now, when Sue Zogelman was in elementary school, he had another, there was a young lady in his class, and her name was B. And so she was called Sue B, but everybody just called him Sue Z. But nobody made fun of Susie because, well, they knew better. Now, Susie was tired of making the five-minute walk from the back end of the parking lot all the way up to the school every day. When it was hot outside, he sweat. And sometimes it would rain and his socks would get wet, and he hated his socks being wet all day. And one day he noticed that as he was making the long walk to school that Val just pulled into his parking spot and walked right into school and didn't get wet at all. And he thought, hmm, maybe there's something I can do here. And he saw that other people had picked on Val, and so Susie had an idea. And so one day he uh, approached Val, and he said, Val, I know that people make fun of you, they pick on you, but I am Susie. Nobody picks on me, nobody makes fun of me, nobody messes with me, and I have a deal for you. I will take care of you. I will protect you. If anybody messes with you, then I or one of my friends will take care of things. You don't have to worry about anything. In fact, there may be even some days you can sit at my table. I, Sue Z, will take care of you. There's just one thing I want from you. I want your parking spot. I want you to give me your parking spot and you can take mine. I am tired of walking five minutes to and from school. I'm tired of worrying about being late when you just get to zip in there, park, and walk right in school right before the bell rings. I will protect you if you give me your parking spot. Val thought about it for a while, and, and he thought, well, I do like my parking spot, but I like the idea of not being picked on even more. And so he told Sue Z, you have a deal. Now, in those days, at that school, they made deals a little different ways. You know, sometimes they make deals with a handshake or signing or a pinky promise. But in those days, what they did was they broke sticks. I know it sounds silly, but that's what they did. And so what happened was they went outside. And so Susie took the sticks, and he broke the stick. And he laid it on the ground. Then he took another stick, and he broke the stick, barely, <laughs> put it on the ground, took even a bigger stick, broke that stick, and put it on the ground. And then he looked at Val, and he stood on the other side of this pathway of sticks that he made, and he said, Val, walk towards me. And as you walk between these sticks, I want you to understand the deal that you're making. That if you park in my parking spot now, one day, if I ever pull in and I see your car there, all right, or even if you know I'm gone in Hawaii on a trip, or that I'm sick and I'm not going to be at school, but I still hear that your car is in my parking spot, as you walk through the pieces and shake my hand, you're going to be saying to me, that what just happened to those sticks will happen to you if you break this deal. And so Val walked there. They shook hands. 
And Val did everything he could from that day forward to never park in that parking spot again. Now, you're probably wondering, what in the world does this story have to do with anything? What, what does the, the stick breaking and the deal and everything have to do with Abraham and God? And more importantly for us today, what does it have to do about us? Now, what we see here is an example of a deal. We make all sorts of deals, right? We agree to the terms and agreements. We don't ever read them, but we agree to them online, right? Um, for, for a lot of us in this room, we stood up and we made a, a marriage covenant at some point in our life. We've made various deals and arrangements. But I really do want to talk more about this idea of covenant. Now, a covenant to me is sort of a holy contract is one way that I've sort of been able to understand it. And it's full, we, our Bible is full of these holy covenants. We see it at the very beginning of our story with Adam and Eve and, and with God. We, we see it with Noah, as Belinda mentioned, as she talked about the rainbow as a sign of God's covenant to never flood the earth. We're going to see it here with Abraham. Um, the person in our character, his name was Abram, but God changed his name to Abraham. We also see it later on in the Old Testament with David, um, who God had promised, made a covenant that from his line, his heritage would be an everlasting kingdom. And then, of course, we see it with Jesus and with the disciples and with us. But I think that this covenant that we find here in Genesis chapter 15 is really quite something. And it tells us an amazing story about who God is. Now, a little background. God chooses Abram. He chooses Abram, and in Genesis chapter 12, we, we get to see that he chooses Abram, and he makes him a promise. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Now, in those days, nations were different than the way we think about them today. We think about nations and countries and governments and all sorts of things, but they were more tribal. And a nation was essentially your family tree. The legacy that your family would have, that nations were oftentimes more about families than they were about sort of governments set up. And so in order for Abram to have a great nation, it would mean that he would have descendants and he would have children. The only problem was is that Abram was 75 years old. His wife was about the same age. They were past childbearing years. But yet God made this promise to them. And in fact, this is probably Abram's key characteristic is that he trusted God. He had faith in God. Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, I love the way that it said this. God takes him out. He says, look up in the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And hear these words. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. What's fascinating is that Abraham's number one characteristic is that of faith. What is he regarded for? It is for his faith, which is in his trust that God is going to deliver on his promises. I think so many of us, we, I wish we had the faith of Abraham. But instead, we feel like we have to earn God's love. That we have to do something to try to accomplish God's love. To receive God's love means we have to do all these things right and then God can love us. But here, Abraham provides a great example of faith as trust. And that is what God saw as righteousness. Now then, 
Abraham and God entered into a treaty, which is also called a covenant. It was this arrangement that happened between two parties. Now, in those days, there was a variety of different kinds of treaties, but one of them were between a suzerain nation and a vassal nation. Su, zi, and vow. And so the suzerain was the larger party. This would have been the larger country, and then the vassal would have been the the smaller country. And so what would happen is that the vassal would look for protection from all the other countries that were around, and so they would look for a suzerain who would protect them. And then they would enter into this sort of treaty or this sort of arrangement in which the suzerain would agree to protect the vassal, and the vassal would live under the authority of the suzerain. And so they entered in, and there was this sort of way of doing it. There would be um, the suzerain would, would talk about all that it's already done for the vassal. It would talk about all the great things that it could provide for the vassal. And then it would say um, it, there would be a part of it where there would be curses and blessings of what would happen if one party broke the covenant. And they would enter into this arrangement. And so one of the things that we see here in the text is we see some clues about this arrangement. And so one of the things that, that Abram asks is he asks the question in, in verse um, he asks the question in verse eight, Oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And I don't think this is a question about his lack of faith. I think he believes that God is going to give him the land. Sometimes we just, he's sort of saying, how, how are we going to make this deal? What does this arrangement look like? And then the Bible does something which for us seems strange. It talks about some different animals. Verse, uh, verse 9, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then it says that these animals, except for the birds, are are cut and laid in half. Now, this is very strange to us because we don't really deal in animal sacrifices too much. Every once in a while, maybe you do, but I certainly don't, okay? And so what is is all this arrangement for? Now, one of the things, and it took me a while to, to figure this out, but I went to some commentaries, and it says in verse 11, and when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Adam, Abraham drove them away. Why, what, why would it include that weird detail about these birds of prey? And I think it's because any arrangement with God that you or I have is, is that there will be people that will try to get in the way of this agreement with God. There will be outside forces and enemies that try to come and mess up our relationship with God. But what we are called to do is just like Abram, drive them away. And then we get some more clues. And so verse 12 gives us a big clue about what's about to happen. As the sun was going down, it says these words, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Now, for those people who who grew up listening to these stories, they would have recognized this phrase about a deep sleep falling on somebody. Because the previous person that had this happen to was a guy by the name of Adam. And when a deep sleep fell upon him, the next thing that happened was Eve was created. And so this is a clue to us as we're reading it, all right, just as if we might be reading it was a dark and stormy night, we know something bad is about to happen. Here, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. We are getting a clue that something big is about to happen. And so God goes on and he he says some things, but then it goes on to say these words, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch 
passed between these pieces. Now, this is one of the most extraordinary things in all of Scripture and, in fact, all of human history. And I think most of the time we miss it because we don't understand what's going on. Because what they would do in a suzerain and vassal treaty is after they made all the arrangements, they laid the animals out, then the vassal, the weaker party, would pass between the pieces to to kind of seal the deal. Now what that would indicate is the vassal was saying, what just happened to these animals, may they happen to me if I break this covenant. May what we just did to these animals happen to me if I, the weaker party, break this covenant. Now, do you see what happened here? Abram was in a deep sleep, and this light passed through. Light is the image for God. And so here, instead of the vassal, Abram, passing through the pieces, the God of the universe said, may what happened to these animals happen to me if I, the most powerful being in history, break this covenant. Extraordinary, extraordinary stuff. But this is our God. He said, I will take the fall if something, if I ever break this covenant. He could have made Abraham do it. That would have been the way that they would have expected things done. But that's not our God, and that's not what he did. And so instead, he took the place. Now, if if you sort of know sort of Old Testament history, let me sum up the Old Testament pretty quickly for you. God has his people. They follow him for a while. Then they fail. God comes in, intervenes. They follow him for a while. Then they fail. God intervenes, they follow him for a while, and they fail. Does this sound familiar? Because this is the story of God's people. Now, if the deal had been made with Abram, then the deal is off. If he had walked through the pieces, they fail, the deal's off. But because God made the deal, everything changes. Let's skip forward to another holy occasion. Jesus is with his disciples. They would have known the story of Abraham. They would have known about covenant. When they hear the word covenant, they they think of all the great and wonderful things that God has done. They think about Abraham. They think about the broken pieces, the blood that the animals would have shed. And so one night, Jesus takes bread. Do you see what happens? He breaks the bread. And he says, this is my body which is broken for you. You don't deserve this. You don't earn it. But I am offering this still as the, va- as the suzerain, as the strong party. I am saying, I am taking your place. And I am broken for you. And every time you eat this, remember my love. And then he took the cup, gave thanks to God, blessed it, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. You remember the old covenant with Abraham? You remember even the old covenant with David? This is the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. 
that even though I'm not going to break my promise to you, if you break your end of the deal, there is forgiveness and there is grace. And so Jesus says that he is broken for us and that he forgives us. This is incredible. Because if any other deal was made, it should have been with us. We should have been the party that had walked through. We should be the party that owes it all to God and says, okay, God, we're going to do we're, gonna, we're never going to break this covenant. I don't know about you, but there's been times I prayed, Lord, I'll never do that again. I promise you. But this is who our God is. Is that he says, I'm broken for you. And I've paid it all. What wondrous love is this? This is generosity upon Generosity. Jesus gave himself for us. And that's why we're here, is because of what Jesus has done. And what he asked us to do is to faithfully follow him, is to trust that what he's done is enough. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to try to, to say, you know what, I'm going to be good enough, and then I'm going to get God's love. I remember one time I, I, I went and I was talking to a guy, and he found out I was a pastor, and he told me, he said, once I get my life right, then I'm going to go to church. I said, you're doing it wrong. I said, you come to church, you receive God's love, and then you get your life right. You don't have to do anything. Abram believed the Lord and counted it as righteousness. Our faith is enough. And then as we receive this incredible generosity from God, then we can give it to others. I love what this scripture in the book of John says. This is Jesus saying to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, we don't have to earn it to get it and then give it. We're given it, we receive it, and we channel it. And so it comes in and it flows through us. As we receive God's love, so we give God's love. There's a hymn we sing. It says, freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give. Go in my name, and because you believed, others will know that I live. And so, my, my friends, we have an opportunity to receive God's generous act of grace and love towards us. He took our place. He was broken for us so that we may be whole in him. And we can be people of generosity. As I think about this, is that we can be generous when we embrace God's covenant with us. Generosity is not something we just muster up. It's something that we live lives of gratitude, and gratitude produces generosity. Instead of me thinking I'm entitled to something, or I've earned something, or this is mine, I become so thankful for what God has done in my life that I can be generous because of what he's done. And I have to embrace God's covenant with us. And so as we enter into this, this generosity campaign and into this generosity covenant, part of it is is that God has made a covenant with you and with me and with us to be our God, to take our place, to forgive our sins. And he invites us to participate in that. Now, being generous people, as we see how it worked out for Jesus, doesn't always pay off. Because sometimes people will take advantage of your generosity. Sometimes people will, 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 will hurt you. Sometimes people 
people might even kill you. That's what they did to Jesus. They totally took advantage of his generosity. But love calls us to do it anyways. I came across this poem, and it was said to be in Mother Teresa's home growing up. And if there was a generous person in this world, then certainly Mother Teresa would reach that definition. And it's a poem called Anyways. Let me share it with you. People people are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it was between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.